Welcome to The Big Rich Show. This podcast will focus on conversations with friends and acquaintances within the four-wheel drive industry. Many of the people that I will be interviewing, you may know the name, you may know some of the history, but let's get in depth with these people and find out what truly makes them a four-wheel drive enthusiast. So now's the time to sit back, grab a cold one, and enjoy our conversation. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two. Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Dread victoriously. Why should you read Four Low Magazine? Because Four Low Magazine is about your lifestyle, the four-wheel drive adventure lifestyle that we all enjoy. Rock crawling, trail riding, event coverage, vehicle builds, and do-it-yourself tech all in a beautifully presented package. You won't find Four Low on the newsstand rack, so subscribe today and have it delivered to you. All right, on today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, we have the operators of Katempsi Rocks in Mason, Texas. This is Randy Crucy and Shane Chapman. I've known these guys, oh, probably about 20 years now or so. And we are going to get into the history of both of these individuals and how they became friends and how K1 came about and then how K2 came about. So guys, I want to say thank you for being here and talking about your history. Glad to be here. Excellent. Then let's start with Randy. Randy, mm-hmm. yep, Randy, um, where did you grow up? And, you know, I know that, that I'm pretty sure it was Mason County. Um, you guys got r- roads named after your family. So I would imagine you started there. Um, yes. Talk about that and uh, what life was like growing up in uh, early Mason. Well, I, like I said, I was uh, born and raised lived pretty much my whole life in Mason except for two years of college and uh but uh, my dad was a farmer a peanut farmer I grew up raising peanuts watermelons cantaloupes and all other kinds of vegetables uh it was a good life then uh back then the farmers could you know work like a dog from first of May till the first of November and make a decent living for their family. And then we spent the rest of the time hunting, fishing, things like that. Uh, you know, we kept, did a little maintenance on our equipment, but mainly just we enjoyed the winters. Uh, my dad was a, also a big cat fisherman. And then when I was young, we grew up with uh, coon dogs. So uh, we go coons two, three nights a week and just enjoyed life. You know, did all the small town stuff. You live in small town. If you want to play baseball, you're going to make the team. You want to play basketball and you're four foot tall, you're going to make the team. So I grew up, you know, enjoying the opportunity to play all the sports that I wanted to play. Uh, You're always a kid in your hometown. And so I live in my hometown, so I consider myself kids. There were 33 kids in my class and 11 of them were boys and we just finished our 30th class reunion and 
unfortunately, we've lost three of those boys, but there's still eight or nine of us that live right here in Mason. Pretty unusual for us. But all my high school buddies live live right here in Mason. It's a good place to be. It's one of the most friendliest towns you'll find in Texas, and uh, I'm, I'm proud to call it my home. I agree with your description of Mason. A lot of the listeners know that we now own what we call the Mason Square Hotel, and that originally was owned by your partner, uh, Shane Chapman, and we purchased mm-hmm. it from him, and we, uh, we, we plan to retire there at some point. You know, and I know you're a real estate agent, so we're going to eventually, we've looked at property, eventually we're going to find another piece of property, and uh, we want to mm-hmm. build a barn dominium or something like that on it. But, uh, you know, yeah, I agree 100%. The community is really, you know, we're not there that often, and the community is really taken to us. So, and we've taken to the community. It's a great place. Yeah, I know, uh, even like yourself, you know, you've been here a relatively short while, but, you know, when I see a lot of folks in town say, hey, how's Rich and Shelly? Where are they at? What are they doing? When are they coming back? So, <laughs> it's a friendly town, you know, thankfully. The next town over is Fredericksburg, Gillespie County. And I think they've been swarmed and overtaken by outsiders. And the local people are not as friendly. So I'm happy to be in Mason. Everybody likes to shake your hand. and always excited to see new people. So it's a great place to be. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. And, and Fredericksburg as well. You know, it has become really touristy and everybody's bought second or third what they call homes, but they're all Airbnbs now. So, you know, the, all the locals are getting run out. Yeah. So, Shane, how about yourself? Where did you grow up? I actually grew up uh, in North Texas. Uh, my dad's side of the family uh, was from uh, McKinney, uh, or actually outside of McKinney, uh, back when McKinney was a small town. Uh they grew up, we had a little family farm there in a place called New Hope, which my dad and uncle called No Hope. Uh, <laughs> but it was, it's a, you know, it was a nice little area. Then my dad and my uncle were the first people on my dad's side of the family to graduate from high school and to go to college. And I was the first one from dad's side of the family uh, to actually uh, not be born <laughs> there on the family farm. Wow. Uh, I, I grew up, though, in Sherman. It's about, you know, 30 miles or so from McKinney and uh, spent all my youth there in that area. Uh, and it's it's a much bigger area than than Mason, but still, you know, by most people's standards, considered a small town uh, or small city with, you know, 25 to 30,000 people back in that day. I don't know what the numbers are now. Good place to grow up, uh, real close to Lake Texoma, and so I spent a lot of time on the lake when I was a kid. Excellent. So, did you uh, did you play sports as well? I did. Uh, we were a five A school. I played soccer uh, in high school. Before high school, I played you know football, baseball, uh, soccer, etc. Uh, but in high school, it was soccer, and then I was pretty heavily involved in FFA stuff. Uh, Ah, you know, one we of the future farmers in America. Oh, yeah. I spent a lot of time doing that. Randy, were you involved with FAA as well? Oh, yes, sir. Uh, we started showing animals. Uh, we started showing uh, sheep when I was young. 
probably, you know, 10 or 12, still in junior high. And then uh, when I moved to high school, I started scoring steers. And my brother and I showed steers all four years of high school. Yeah, I'm big in the FFA and judging. And I was a alternate on the state champion chicken judging team. <laughs> big claim to fame, but it, I it, it was a lot of pleasure. Uh, yeah, I can, I can judge a chicken, buddy. <laughs> Are you saying you're really judgmental? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Well, if you never judge chickens, there's a lot more to judging chicken than watching a peanut for you. You candle eggs and you know, and all kinds of stuff. I learned way more about a chicken than I ever needed to know. Well, I figured that. Uh, Judging chicken was more like with a bib and a plate. <laughs> yeah, well, that's how I like it. Judge fried chicken. No, there's chicken on the hoof. Chicken on the hoof. There you go. Awesome. So let's, uh, Shane. What was uh, what was your first foray into motorized recreation? Were you a motorcycle oh. UTV? Eight, or not UTVs, obviously, ATV, something like that, or what was it? Well, it was when I was a kid, it was dirt bikes and then the ATVs. I, w- I got one of those Honda 200X three-wheelers uh, at some point in time, and I, I wore that thing out. I mean, that's I still have scars on both my legs from various wipeouts on that or foot coming off the peg kind of stuff. But, uh, <laughs> but you I, I did a... <laughs> I live to tell about it, and uh, and I, if I would love to have another one of those these days, especially like a 250R three-wheeler, those things were screaming demons. But, uh, you know, I eventually got off into four-wheel drive vehicles. Uh, my first four-wheel drive was actually a 72 FJ40 Land Cruiser that was my uncle's that I somehow conned him into letting me use for a while, <laughs> and I kept it for about three years and drove that to and from high school when I didn't drive my truck. Okay. What so, kind of truck did you have? Oh, I had uh, a Chevy's back then. I had a half-ton Chevy for a little while, and then I got rid of that for some horrendously painted uh, three-quarter-ton Chevy with a 454 and thought I was in tall cotton then. It was a pretty big, bad machine. <laughs> the guys across the street rebuilt motors, and so they rebuilt the motor on that in that 454, and I thought I, thought I was the dude. <laughs> it was a good time on that thing. <laughs> so, same question to you, Randy. What did you? Uh, what was your first uh, foray into motorized vehicles? Well, so I grew up on a sandy land farm, so there was no riding of bicycles. Uh, I learned. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't you couldn't pedal it in that sandy field. So, uh, I guess my first motorized vehicle was a Honda Fifty. Uh, motorcycle. That's what I learned to ride on. No training wheels, a lot of crashing, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. And then uh, as you grew up on the farm, uh, we pretty much lived our life, my brother and my father and I, on the Honda Trail 90s and the Honda 110s. You know, they were greatly suited, low center of gravity, great, uh, great vehicle for getting around in the peanut fields and Things like that. So that was my first motorized vehicle was that. Probably my first four-wheel vehicle was a 1950s Willis Jeep pickup. Uh, I drove it 1,000 miles. That's what I learned to drive in, how I learned to use a clutch. 
my brother and I took cut the top off of it and turned it into our own little Jeep. Uh, that was my that was my first four wheel drive, and then of course as I grew older, uh, got into high school, got my driver's license. I had a half ton Ford pickup. My dad, who now drives a Chevrolet, but back in the old days he was a Ford man. So when we went looking for a pickup, I found a Chevrolet that had about 50,000 miles on it, four or five years old, and we found a Ford, basically the same thing, same price within a few dollars, and my dad, and his infinite wisdom, said, son, I don't want to influence your decision, but you can buy that Chevrolet, I'll buy the Ford. So (laughs) I drove the Ford. (laughs) So you drove the Ford because... He was buying the Chevy. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to influence you at all. <laughs> but that's what I'm going to do. Sounds like Jerry. <laughs> so, yep. So, after I know that both of you, of course, attended college. Randy, where did you go, and uh, what did you uh, what did you study? Well, I majored in agriculture. Finished with a bachelor's degree in animal science and wildlife management. Uh, kind of was my uh, forte. I uh, graduated from Angelo State University in San Angelo. I squeezed four years in about five and a half. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed it. Some of those classes, you know, I really enjoyed that as they come to us, but I got them all. <laughs> You really enjoyed them, so you took them twice. There you go. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and Shane, um, let's talk about your your college. All right. Uh, I went to Texas A&M. I was uh, an Aggie. Uh, went down there. as going to be a, a, a veterinarian. That was my plan. Uh, so I was an animal science major myself uh, and took all the, the science option stuff. And then when I applied to vet school the first go-round, I didn't get in. Uh, graduated with that animal science degree, but didn't get into vet school and somehow or another ended up on a whim applying to law school. Uh, and since I wasn't smart enough to become a lawyer or become a vet and work on animals, I became a lawyer and work on people kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Just a different type of animal. Right, right. So, so that, that's my background on that. Okay. And then Randy, you uh, you met your wife while you were in college. Is that correct? That's right. Uh, I met her, and uh, we got married. Had two years of college left. I had two years. Pam had about two and a half years of college left. Uh, she, originally, Pam was an accounting major, and uh, I didn't help her with her grades at all. So <laughs> she ended up changing uh, changing her major to education, which was best thing that ever happened for us just because no matter where we chose to live she could find a job as a, a school teacher uh she she thrived when we got to mason she worked all her school career in mason she was a she taught pretty much every grade and then coached girls basketball and then as our kids got old enough to help take care of themselves she went back got her master's and became the elementary school principal and then the junior high principal and then high school principal and then went back and got her superintendent certification and she retired 
couple, three years ago as the superintendent there in Mason. I think she was a superintendent for six or seven years. So, yeah. Well, she really been married. Been married 37 years come the 23rd of this month. Wow. Congratulations. Wow. And uh, she really yeah. climbed the ladder there in Mason. Yeah. Uh, Except for being married to Randy. Like, yeah, I know. that. Was, yeah, she yeah, had to climb why. extra hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 that last fish in the boat is easy to catch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, she does well here. She's well-respected as a superintendent, did a good job. I'm, I'm very proud of her. So, Shane, your family life started? Well, I actually have, I kind of uh, ended up in Mason because of uh, my my ex-wife uh, was from Mason. I used to used to go hunting down in, uh, you know, Junction, Mason area uh, a lot when I was younger. And on one of those forays down there, I met my ex at the infamous London Hall Saloon there in ah. London, Texas. So, uh, and was married to her for 20 years or right at 20 years. Uh, we had three kids and, uh, two of those kids were born up, uh, close to Lake Texoma where we lived at the time. And then my youngest was actually born in Fredericksburg after we'd moved to to Mason and we moved to Mason about 2000 or so. All right. And then how did the, the two of you meet, um, Randy and Shane? Randy, you want to give your side of the story? Yeah, it'd probably be different versions. <laughs> I'm assuming so. Which one yeah. of you was cruising with tight pants on at the London Hall? No. <laughs> yeah. Kidding. That was the Aggie. That was the Aggie. That was. <laughs> well, Shane, uh, Shane moved to Mason, and he had a white CJ7. And I noticed him buzzing around town in his Jeep. And, of course, I had a Jeep back then and uh, did a little soft four-wheeling compared to what we do now. And then uh, we actually got together at, a, I believe it was a some kind of Easter party or something. And I was talking to Sean, hey, you're the guy driving that white CJ. And he said, yeah, you're the guy in the blue CJ. We kind of talked shop about our Jeeps, and he said, man, we ought to be leaving today to go to Utah to go to the Eastern Jeep Safari. Well, I didn't have any idea. I'd never heard of the Jeep Safari. Uh, my four-wheeling consists of playing around Mason and the river and the creeks and then uh, kind of driving the mountain uh, trails up in uh, Uray and Lake City, and that was kind of the extent of my four-wheeling. I did have uh, lockers in my Jeep, but uh, I never – knew we put them to use the way that we do now and so shane was telling me it's like this big granite rock and you drive all over the old traction and and uh so i invited shane to bring his jeep and come out and show him the little rock pile that i had that turned out to be k1 and that's how we that's how i say we met. okay shane how about you I, that's that's pretty close, except it was a uh, New Year's Eve party. Mm. Uh, it was a New Year's Eve party out at the Fredonia Peanut Mill uh, yeah. that we ended up uh, with mutual friends and whatnot started talking that night. And he, just like Randy said, he said, you know, we were talking about four-wheeling and whatnot. And he said, well, I got some rocks, and, and why don't we take a look at that? And that's, uh, that's pretty much how it started. I went out there. I think I flopped over on the first rock I saw out there, and that's – I told him that's why, that's why it's called Aggie Highway. 
That's one of my thoughts people pay to come out and do that. You know, I, yeah. I think everybody's a little irritated that I was on my side within the first five minutes. We spent the next couple hours trying to get me righted up because I think we were only out there in one Jeep at the time. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty fun. Now, now you turn somebody over in 30 seconds and we were there for two and a half hours. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you, you know, you had to get had to properly assess the situation exactly right you know, and exactly. You know, that, that normally requires a couple of barley pops and then you know once, then once you get it back on its side you got to wait for all that oil to get back out of the cylinders so i understand yeah yeah we had some hellacious good times out there at the old place that's for damn sure well mm-hmm. when i when i met you guys I don't remember who it was or how it came about, but I knew I needed to go see you guys in Texas. I was running Cal Rocks at the time, and we were starting to move across the United States and put events on. And somebody said, and I don't know if one of you guys got hold of me or if it was somebody that you guys know or somebody that had come out to the park, but somebody said I needed to come out and see you guys. So my dad and I showed up out there at K1 and we we went out and looked at the cotton bale area and we drove around and mm-hmm. we ended up doing the first event. One of the things I remember was sitting in, in Shane's office and I asked, okay, what do I need to do for permit wise with the county or whatever? <laughs> And Shane, you're younger than me, and you looked at me, and I remember you saying, well, boy, this is Texas. And I thought, boy, okay. And then he, I go, well, you know, I don't want to end up in, in a lawsuit like I was in, in Amador County. And you said, well, I am the county attorney. Right. And I was like, okay, let's do an event. <laughs> I think I still have that old Cal Rocks poster somewhere from that first event. Oh, wow. That'd be awesome. First of all, okay, we know how Randy ended up there because he was born in tech in Mason or that area. Um, Shane, you guys, you moved down there after you were married. And right. is was it to open a law practice or how did you end up in Mason? No, it was to to raise my kids there. Uh, Like Randy mentioned a a little earlier, I mean, Mason is a great little town to to raise a family. It really is. Uh, uh, Most of the time that I lived there until I moved out in 2014 after my divorce. Uh, But I think the rest of the time I was there, I don't know that I had a key to either of the houses that we lived in. and, and, we, and we never locked the doors. I mean, one was out uh, in the country, but one house was in town. We always left the keys in the vehicles, uh, you know, so you wouldn't lose them. They were in the ignition. Uh, so it just it was one of those kind of communities. It was just yeah, just a great place to raise your kids. And I'd, I'd been traveling down there for several years from early 90s whenever I married before we actually moved down there uh, and just loved that community. Uh, and that was a logical place for us to, to come raise our, our kids. Uh, and uh, all, all my kids have excelled in Mason schools. Most of that was while Pam was involved either as a principal or a superintendent. And so, I mean, my oldest uh, graduated as a valedictorian. My 
second child, uh, she graduated in the top of her class. She's a, uh, 4.0 student at uh, Texas A&M, and then I've got a 16-year-old that's still there. Okay. So we, we moved down there uh, in part because I wanted to be in the Hill Country, uh, and then I wanted to – we my ex and I both wanted to raise our kids in that kind of community. It's just a great place to raise kids. Yeah, that makes well, sense. Well, tell, tell them where Jackson is. Oh, he's uh, he is in his senior year at Yale right now as a, oh, wow. a four point oh student. Ooh, oh yeah, yeah. Don't miss that one. We're proud of Jackson. Absolutely. And 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 ran ran track there too. Ran four hundred hurdles there at Yale. Oh wow, that's that's a long set of hurdles. That's no doubt about that. So, <laughs> the the idea of the park and how that came together. Um, you guys obviously went out there. Wheeling, Shane rolls over, takes you half the day to get him uprighted. Um, what 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 transpired? How did who's who was the property owner? Was it a family friend or you know how did K one come about? Well, my family had that property lease for livestock, and then we also farmed peanuts in the field up there on the top of the hill at K one. We had it leased for a long time. Okay. And the owner, the owner was a man named Jack Hayes. Really nice individual. Uh, his opinion was he wanted somebody that would take and invest time and money into his property and utilize it, take care of it, make money yourself. Uh, he would always make us pay the rent, you know, the lease money, and then he would turn around and send half of that money back to do improvements on the property. I mean, he was a great guy. And uh, when I it went was, to Texas, It was his I home was place, home, wasn't it? It was, it was his dad's home place. Okay. His dad uh, lived there and grew up. His dad was, a, I believe, a doctor over in Brady. And Jack Hayes was also a doctor, but he lived in Florida most of his life. Uh, but anyway... When I went and told him what we wanted to do, he was all for it. He said, I'm, I'm pretty much for anything that if you say I'm covered, I'm covered. And as long as you don't cut my rocks up and haul them off, I'm for it. And so, but the story goes, Shane and I went out there that first time, had a blast. We invited uh, Shane, had two brother-in-laws that were here in and around Mason. And we went out there and then another guy joined us and we had a blast, you know, uh, wheeling out there and Shane, he said, you know, I'd like to invite a couple of my buddies from my four wheel drive club back home. So I said, sure, let's do it. So they came down. I don't remember how many of those guys were there, but we were kind of sitting by the campfire and he said, whoever was, said, well, I'm the president of the club. So I'd like to bring my whole club down here. And I was like, mm, maybe he said, we pay you. How much would you buy? <laughs> How many guys? How much? <laughs> yeah. And so pretty much we sit there by the fire and we pretty much laid out our fee that we charged that it changed a little, but pretty much stayed the same since day one. Uh, 20, 20 years, our fees have been pretty much the same. Yeah, I think we started out like for 40 bucks for a weekend and now we're at 60, 20 years later. I think that's where we... Yep. Mm-hmm. That's a and then and then if they want hookups, of course, because you guys have water and electricity available. So 
Oh, right. Yeah, there's that's an addition. Well, K one was kind of we throwed something here and we spent more time clearing the bus out because every time we'd come we'd run out of parking. Right. So we were clearing the bus and pushing stuff, and then we decided we needed pavilion, and then we decided we need to put some cabins up and had a bathroom. You know, just kind of hodgepodge together. When we went to K two, we had we knew what we want, and so we got to lay it all out pretty much before we started it which makes it a lot better the rv slots the cabins the parking all that was you know we were looking for that right and and the difference between k1 and we'll get more into k2 is k1 i think to me at least was a little tamer terrain you know there was there was more Mm -hmm. intermediate beginner stuff than than maybe k2 is that correct? I, I think that's right. But part of that's uh, just the nature of our uh, off-road world has evolved, too. I mean, true. you know, a 30, 35, 36-inch tire was big back, back in those days. Uh, and K1 was more of a granite dome outcropping, kind of like uh, the Hell's Revenge area of Moab. And K2 is more bouldery kind of uh, stuff uh, with less of a granite dome. But, you know, those 35-inch tires back then, you know, you were a big dog on a lot of that stuff. Uh, And there was certainly some hard stuff there. We had plenty plenty of rollovers. I had plenty of rollovers there myself. Uh, But uh, I think our our, our options for the harder stuff are are much better at K2. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree uh, on that. So, Talk about those those early days at at K one and some of the the events that you had there or people that that showed up maybe that are now celebrities or or names and you know that people would recognize because I know you guys have had ball players of different or sport you know athletes and others that have uh, that have come out to to enjoy the properties. Well, the one that pops into my head right off the bat is Jessie Combs. Uh, she came out and wheeled with us with a Land Cruiser event one year uh, mm-hmm. and had a good time. And, you know, the off-road world's a, a, a lot lesser place without her being in it. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's that's the first one that, that pops into my mind. I know uh, Rick Payway, uh, when he was with uh, Peterson's four wheel and off road sent guys to us from time to time to do articles and they did some of their, uh, Oh, what are their off road adventures? I've forgotten the name. Ultimate ultimate adventure. Yeah. They, they did some of those with us there. Uh, but the funniest one was he sent Jared Jones that now does, <laughs> uh, Jared's got the, the full size invasion stuff that he does now. He sent Jared to come out and do a story on us one time and, we partied it up and had a good time with Jared all weekend long. And when he was leaving, Jared was like, I don't think I have any pictures that I can actually publish in a magazine. Now. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know how much press we actually got out of his visit, but we had a damn good time. <laughs> how about you, Randy? What, what do you remember? Well, you know, I'm always proud to say that, uh, that Jesse was there. You know, I feel like we made an impression on her every time that I went to, you know, the Jeep Safari. She was there with the Warren crew. 
and you walked up there. She recognized you. Said, oh man, I love K2. I love the Katimsi Rocks. I got to get back down there. And how's everybody? How's your mom? All that kind of thing. So I was really proud of that. I guess our other celebrity, current celebrity that we had was one year uh, at the Land Cruiser Run. We had a band that was supposed to play and uh, they kind of caught caught with some uh, controlled substance, I guess what you call it. And they got thrown in jail over in Junction. So this young kid <laughs> came down and he was an Arkansas kid. He just happened to be down at the South by Southwest. And he said, Hey man, we came to play for that guy. You know, y'all need some music. So he played for us and his name was Matt still. And he came back and played several times for us and other you know, the Cotton Land Cruisers up in Arkansas. But, you know, right now he's he's a kicking, singing country music singer, has several charted singles out. So uh, I talk to him, you know, every once in a while, I'll shoot him a text or he'll text me back. But uh, we're proud that uh, we, you know, had Matt Stell in the early days. That's pretty awesome. And, and yeah. of course, you know, I mean, Big Rich, not to be, you know, making a big – Deal like we're kicking, right. but, but you've been uh, he's been with us since those cow rock days. Yes, and yeah. so is so is Little Rich. Right at the yep. start, man. Yep, so, right at the start. Uh, so the, Little Rich was designing the courses back in those days, as I recall. Absolutely. So, no, I can remember that. Young. I can remember that first that first event out there, um, meeting Matt Hodges, and meeting. Um, oh God, there was there was so many of that whole Texas crew that now all come and enjoy K2 as well. But there was some guys out of San Angelo that thought they were, thought they were pretty hot stuff. And, I know exactly which guys. And Little Rich about got his, I mean, they, they wanted to fight because the guy asked, one of the guys asked him, so what's the difference between West Coast wheelers and, you know, Texas? And Rich just said, you know, hey, well, you know, that what I see is, you know, you guys are about five years behind what we're doing on the West Coast. And that guy got so mad that all he wanted to do was to to fight Rich. And, you know, Rich is all of like 17 years old, you know, and this guy's, you know, 30 or something. And it was like, you know, first of all, little Rich wasn't drunk. He wasn't small by any means. And yeah. that guy was probably <laughs> he was probably getting ready to get his butt whooped. But, you know, still it was uh it was pretty funny that, you know, and then when he tried to explain, no, 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 I mean by, you know, the the technology, what we're building compared to what you guys are building, that kind of thing and you know, I think people understand that now that uh you know, there's a lot of innovation on the West Coast, but it gets everywhere pretty quick nowadays and, and and little rich was right i had to go over there and help break that mess up and i know exactly which guys were involved in that out of san angelo and they still <laughs> will with us today right uh, yeah. but yeah rich was in the right he didn't do anything wrong on that he was giving them a straight up answer they just didn't like it <laughs> <laughs> well yeah you know everything's better in texas and you got to learn to believe that <laughs> yeah. well you know now that i'm half Texas resident, at least half the year, you know, I kind of agree with that. <laughs> there we go. We are proud of the state. Absolutely. 
and and rightfully so rightfully so as as long as we don't let it go too far left you know yeah so true let's hope that doesn't happen but so, you are right you know the, the the stuff that's coming out of california i mean i just drove to california and bought a buggy just because you know they're moving up and i'm taking you know their last version but it's still you can't find that in texas so let's talk a little bit about that we'll use that as a segue into especially randy your foray into the comp buggy scene you've upgraded from the the cj7 that you've had well you've had a number of them i believe um yeah and then all of a sudden you're in a in a pro mod then you're in an unlimited car and now I understand that you know, after competing, you no longer have that unlimited car, and now you're into something else? <laughs> yeah. Uh, a couple of things. I mean, I'm still I'm still just an old country boy wheeler, and uh, it's kind of funny. I was on, you know, I wheel with some guys, and they wheel a lighter, more nimble buggy than mine. Mine had a, you know, a V8, which I thought that's what I wanted. But uh, just the lighter weight buggy and uh, smaller motor, same power, basically. But, uh, the, you know, I blamed it on my wife. She always complained about the buggy that I had. It was a, you know, a Jesse Haynes chassis, uh, one of the goat-built chassis. But the motor was offset in it towards the passenger side. And so my wife constantly complained about it. She had no room for her feet. Okay. So it was a good excuse to go find one that had room for her feet. <laughs> and so uh, I busted around, looked at a, a really awesome uh, James Tracy buggy, and then that didn't work out. So I ended up buying a Brant built buggy out of California. It was actually one that he built for himself and then sold to a guy. He willed it for a year. So I'm saying it's a it's a two year old portal buggy. So okay. I'm I'm excited. I have not driven it yet. Uh, we came back from California. I ended up having a little touch of the Corona. So, actually, my son and my granddaughter rode around in it at the last event. So, I'm I'm, ex- I'm ready to go wheeling a little bit. Awesome. So, Shane, how about you? Um, I, I see you online all the time, going, "Oh, I want that vehicle." I want that vehicle. How many vehicles do you own right now? Uh, I don't really know what the number is on that off the top of my head. So it's big enough it's that you can't go, let me see. Uh, oh, oh, 12. It's not that bad. No. Okay. It's not that bad. It's seven or eight, something like that. Seven or eight. It's it's not. And, and Randy's not any better, so don't let him act like he's any better. He's got the same kind of deal. Uh, I've got. <laughs> <laughs> I just got a bigger I want list when I see something, uh, <laughs> uh, voice my opinion about it. But I mean, I, I'm not I'm not the buggy guy. I mean, Randy right. obviously has moved into the buggy scene. I still like having a full bodied rig and, uh, you know, having something that's capable. But I, I, this last rig I've had for oh, probably eight, nine years now, maybe. Uh, I've tried to keep it relatively clean because some of my previous rigs, including an old, what was that little TJ was a We Rock uh, buggy mm-hmm. that I got out of Tulsa. I've forgotten who, the guy's name I bought that off of. 
But I, those things, the last couple of rigs I've had, by the time I got rid of them, they were hammered raisins. And I just got tired of just tearing things up that bad that you couldn't tell what they originally even were. They were so beat up. So right. I, I tried to keep my, my last rig halfway clean. So let, yeah. let's say. Shane used to be the wild man. Right. <laughs> wild. I mean, he was the type of guy that would go up an obstacle and roll over. As soon as you got him pushed over, he was headed back up there. He might roll over three times, but eventually he wouldn't make it. <laughs> I mean, it, he was scared of nothing. He impressed me then, you know. <laughs> I, you know, one time I hit my head on the road case. I thought, well, I'll do it next time. <laughs> That's why they all look like hammered raisins at the end, too. So. Right. In fact, when we, when we built K2, there was a local guy that had a sky track that he loaned us to put the trusses up on the pavilion and we asked him what did we own this on the skin ride the jeep. So uh he gets in with Shane and we go over to this obstacle called the Ripper, which is still one of the most intimidating, if not hard, trails that we have. And Casey, my son, he drove up it and I went up it and Shane was behind me and he gets up there and spins around and slides down a time or two. And he gets up there almost to the top, over backwards. And once he hits on the ground, then he barrel rolls all the way over to his wheels. The motor's sitting there running, and that guy chained CO2 bottle and come loose and hit him in the head. And of course, he hit his head on the road gauge. He said, what are you going to do? He said, we're going to go up this hill. <laughs> and he goes, have you ever made it? And Shane said, I'm going to this time. <laughs> He said, I'm getting out. He said, well, you said you were a bull rider. He said, yeah, but that just lasts eight seconds. <laughs> that roll was eight seconds. <laughs> just... Yeah, he went home He went home and told his wife he'd been in a car wreck because he was late getting home. She's like, no, you haven't, no, you haven't. And then he got home and he was bleeding out about three different places in his head. She's like, oh, my God, you were in a car wreck. <laughs> That's hilarious. I got up the last time once he got his ass out. He did out. make it up. Yes, he did. <laughs> I don't think you've ever been back. But <laughs> oh, I don't he, think I've been back. <laughs> has uh, had that guy ever gone wheeling again? Do you know of? No. Oh. <laughs> no. 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 His daughter is one of my youngest daughter's best friends, and no, he hadn't been back out. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, that's funny. So let's talk about more about the park and what it takes to to put to have a piece of property whether it's a lease situation like you guys have or a piece of property that that you own that you put a park on what are some of the the pros and cons operating a park well, I think in Texas in particular, one of the hurdles is uh, if you're going to do any any real wheeling in the state, you're going to have to have private land since most of the state's privately owned. So you you have to have either the own the land, buy the land, or lease the land in order to run any kind of off-road park around here. So right. uh, that makes it a necessity. Uh, Texas is pretty good from a legal standpoint. Uh, there's a... a 
a civil practice and remedies code statute that basically protects landowners if you uh, allow others to come recreate on your property and they get hurt. So that makes liability much less of an issue for anybody operating an off-road park in Texas. Oh, okay. So, uh, and then, you know, of course, we still do uh, re- release forms uh, ourselves and have right. everybody come sign their you know, life away on a release form. But, uh, you know, once you, you get some kind of get a place located and then able to work out the specifics of what you want to do. And I, I think it's a great way to give an opportunity to folks in the, the region to have a place to wheel. And, and we love doing it too. So it's really been a win-win for us. We get to wheel with our buddies all the time. Uh, we get to see all sorts of people from all walks of life, all sorts of all the, you know, Big names in the off-road industry, it seems like, have been out there at some point or another uh, and, you know, have, you know, long-standing relationships with most of those folks. It's just – and it and it pays for, you know, our addiction to some extent. You know, it's not like it's a big money-making business, but, you know, I'm, I'm writing off my rock collar as a business expense. I'm sure Cruzy's writing off his new buggy as a business expense. So it, it certainly has its benefits. And like I said, we get to go hang out and wheel with our friends all the time. Right. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, notoriety that you're, you're so, so many people over the past 20 years that are still wheeling with us. And even those that you don't, I mean, you meet a lot of people and that's good. They're all, and most of all of the four wheel drive crowd has been you know matter no matter whether hummer people or toyota people or jeep people or buggy people they all get along with i mean i don't i've I've tried to think i don't ever recall in 20 years having any problem with people getting in a fight now a couple of times we had some mates people get in there and go to fight amongst ourselves but never have we ever had any kind of uproar like that other than little rich yeah, well, <laughs> he, comes, rich, yeah. he comes by that now. He's a California troublemaker. There he is. Yeah, troublemaker. Yep. <laughs> you know, and the cons of having an off-road park like us is, you know, you're wheeling in the summer every other weekend. Uh, and there's a lot of parks are open every weekend. And so you're pretty much tied to that park. Uh, you know, there's some people that just open it for the money. And I'm sure the money's probably a little better if you don't have to take care of me. I have three rock climbers that I take care of. I have my, of course, mine, and then the uh, yellow Jeep. There was a pro mod. I mean, that's my son's. It's still in my shop. It's broke right now. Okay. And then my CJ, the last one I had, was baby Huey. Uh, it's in my shop right now. <laughs> and they're all waiting on me to fix them, but... Uh, that's another thing for me. It's where I raise my family and those people that come to the rock. They're my son's best friends. They were when he was in high school and junior high. And, uh, I raised my family among all those people and, and they're better for it. Right. I, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we see those kids. I mean, Casey Cruzy, Randy's son, is a perfect example. Casey was spotting people at, you know, 12 years of age out there and driving, 
rigs around. And we see those same kind of kids. Uh, you know, Shelby Gilstrap comes to mind. She was out there as a young kid. Uh, there's a ton of others that we've seen since they were old enough to see over the steering wheel, learn to drive out there, and and now they're they're wheeling themselves. And I love that aspect of it. I absolutely and bring love them there. Right, and it's right. it's such a family sport. You know, it's that you can be out there at a, at a park like yours, and the kids can be running around, you know, they don't, it's, it's almost like that free range parenting that happens nowadays because, right. you know, <laughs> yeah. you're in an area that's fenced off and you don't have to worry about them, you know, wandering off. And, and it's all right if kids, you know, fall off a rock and get hurt, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's part of growing up. Absolutely. My kids did yeah. bike races around that campground so many different times. And you see, you see those kids doing it today. The little the kids raffles that the Bronco group and the Land Cruiser groups do. Those kids are all up there getting some little prize and whatnot, and their glow sticks. I, I mean, I I love all that. It's it's that's great. Right. So, didn't you guys have a a one of the guys that played for the Texas Rangers or something or somebody come up that used to come out? Was that your guys's park or somebody else? <laughs> I'm thinking of. Uh, well, he's. Well, there's uh, a guy that played uh, professional baseball that has a or had a neighboring ranch. Uh, I don't know that he ever actually came out and wheeled with us, though. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. His we also right we also had Ted Nugent. Right. Yeah, Uncle we did Ted. have Ted. Yeah, um, we did have Ted Nugent. He's a Bronco there. guy. Yeah. And you know, for a celebrity, he was pretty cool. Uh, First thing he did, he got out, shook everybody's hand, you know, hugged my mother's neck. He went and talked to the landowner, Miss Hoffman, told her how much he appreciated, you know, the opportunity to get out on her property. And uh, he took and every person that was there wanted to talk and get the picture with Ted Nugent. And he was so kind that he, he talked to everybody, you know, five minutes, ten minutes, visited with everybody there, went out within a little bit, ate two hamburgers. <laughs> uh, he was a real. He was a good guy. I was really impressed. And so the nickname Motor City Madman was probably his uh, stage persona. I would imagine with you know the songs like Cat Scratch Fever and all that kind of stuff. I mean, the guy was the guy was pretty hardcore. You know? Right, but super super friendly to everybody that was out there. That's uh, awesome. I, I, everybody was enjoyed him being out there. I think, and we, you know, I, and he's, he needs. I had met Ted Nugent once before. I was hunting Neil guy down on the King Ranch, and he was there. Oh wow! And I kind of got a bunkhouse that everybody stays in, and Ted was there. And so when we get there, uh, there were three Mason boys. You know, just a bunch of nobody. And they said, "Hey, do you want do you want us to move you to another house, or are you fine with staying in the?" He said. I'm staying in the bunkhouse with these guys, you know. They look like good people. We're gonna have some fun, you know. Uh, you know, he he just he was that away then. I mean, you know, enjoyed talking about being in the outdoors, and uh, you know, very thankful for all the things that that uh, he's accomplished. And he knew that he had a little help from upstairs. And and I've always been impressed by <laughs> Ted. Right. Cool. So the 
the kind of deal um, that you guys had at at K one, did you with the property owners? That how you have things worked out with with Hoffman's as well? Did you use the same model? Yes, it's a, a similar lease as we had uh, there at the K one and what we now have at K two, uh, except that. It's, it's changed a little bit. Originally, we had at least at K2 to include the hunting and everything. So we didn't have a situation where hunters were coming and complaining to the landowners, say, hey, the rock crawlers did this or the off-road guys did that. So we, we subleased the hunting out. And if they had a complaint, they would come to us. Oh, Within the last so few good. years, the Hoffmans have decided they just want to hunt the place themselves. So our, our lease modified a little bit from that standpoint. Okay. But otherwise, it's pretty pretty similar to what we started with, uh, you know, 20 years ago. Excellent. And I understand that you guys signed, uh, re-signed that lease and uh, you've got it for an extended period of time so we don't have to worry about uh, K2 going away. Correct. And, and the, the difference, I think, with the Hoffmans versus at our old place is – uh, you know, our concession stand is run by the Hoffman, Hoffman family. Uh, Ryan Schisler, the uh, uh, is the grandson of the matriarch, uh, Johanna Hoffman, and he runs our concession stand and, and makes some money doing that and seems to enjoy it. Uh, and we certainly enjoy his cooking. Right. So uh, I, I think having that, having the, the, the family members there at, at every event and seeing what we're doing and serving food uh, and Johanna Hoffman always goes on and on about how happy it, she is to see these people enjoying the place and, uh, and how nice they are to her. And I, I and so I think that helps a lot in extending uh, our, our lease there for, you know, how many years we end up doing this. Right. And that's, that's great. It's, I hate when we, when we lose park areas because of, whatever the situation is, whether it's government or neighbors or the property owners change. And, you know, then all of a sudden, you know, the, the whole idea of how the, the property is going to get used change changes as well. So it's, it's good to hear that that's going to, that that's going to stay the same. So, you know, I think, uh, I think we're, you know, the second generation of the Hoffmans are, are involved in it and, and, I'm sure they enjoy the money. It helps keep the ranch afloat. And I really feel like, you know, if we lose Mrs. Hoffman, that's going to continue. I know both of my kids would jump at the chance, you know, if I decided to, to pass the duties along. So I think we'll be there a long time if we want to be. Excellent. <clears throat> that's good yeah. to hear. And, and the partnership is, I think, is a great partnership because – there's there's four distinct partners as I understand. You have the Hoffmans, and then we have Shane, we have Randy, and then we have Randy's parents as well. Correct? Is that yeah. how it's set up? Okay. And and your and your mom and dad have always been so supportive out there. Um, you know, your dad he always cracks me up about you know Jerry will say. Yeah, I guess it's time for me to go clean the toilets, you know. And <laughs> he, it seems like they got the jobs that you guys don't really want. <laughs> That's exactly right. Randy and I like to wheel. We don't like to clean porta pots or stay in the office and collect money. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys actually have the better the better job description out of this whole thing, I think. Don't be yeah, don't be going back and talking to them about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, luckily they probably don't know what podcasts are, so you know, just I won't. I, I I'm going to post it on Facebook that we're doing this, so they may find it. Yeah, especially your mom, yeah. Elaine. You know. Yeah, I love you, mom. <laughs> <laughs> we all love. We all love them. That's for sure. So, when did you guys start going to uh, to Easter Jeep out there for Jamboree? Golly, that's what was that? Oh, five ish, maybe. I'm guessing. I. I don't know for sure. You could still you could still do the lines back. I know that because I yeah, didn't it, was, have it. it was back when we were involved with stuff with some with Goodyear. I know Goodyear. Uh, you know, we had took the some of the Goodyear folks out and then did the uh, run with Walker Evans one day on one of those events way back when. Walker's an interesting character. Did you get to listen to a chance to listen to some of his stories? No, but I bet he's got some great stories. Oh yeah. yeah. There's there's one and I hope to get Walker on here that he about him and Ivan Stewart. Uh, oh man. I actually heard it from from Ivan, but they were it was be racing Baja before GPSs. So everything was, you know, well, here's the course, and you got a map, and there's hopefully arrows left out there, I guess. Wow. And they, it was at nighttime, and each of them saw a set of headlights, like, you know, 10, 12, 14 miles away across this lake bed, and they were on ridges, and they didn't, neither one of them knew where they were at. So they, they eventually worked their way to each other and went past each other, and then realized that neither one of them knew where where they were at. <laughs> yeah. But they both finished that race. I don't know how well they finished. I don't remember that part of the story, but, uh, it's, uh, I love hearing those stories from those guys. Yeah. That, that Baja is, uh, that's something I've got to get Randy to go over to, to Baja and watch it 500 to a thousand. That's, that's just incredible stuff. Yeah. You've crewed down there a couple of times. I remember seeing you during the 50th. Right, right. Uh, Billy Wilson out of Corpus Christi is yes. uh, the Beverly Wilson race team. I, I crew for them whenever I get a chance, and so I, I love going down there. In fact, Shelly surprised you because she was working registration. Right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> they came out. We, I forgot what we were doing where we were getting our armbands or whatever, and one of the guys came out and said, they said they have to see you right now. And you need to get away, go, go on in there and see what's going on. I don't know what's happened. And it was Shelly giving me a hard time about something. <laughs> I don't remember what it was. That's awesome. What's your favorite place that you guys have wheeled outside of your own park? Cruzy, I know what you're saying. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to say my favorite trail of all time is there in Moab. I mean, uh, Hell's Revenge is my favorite trail. It's not that difficult, but for years, Shane and I and all our buddies would go and, uh, you know, wheel Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday pretty hard and then go hit the trade show on Thursday and then just go spend the afternoon, you know, enjoying it. It's a great trail. There's a little bit of difficulty, a lot of pucker factor there. 
and uh, standing around and watching all the other crazy people in the hot tubs. I mean, that is my favorite trail of all time out there. Uh, I mean, I've been to Sand Hollow, and I really like Sand Hollow. I hadn't had a chance to explore it enough. You know, it's, it, it's an awesome place. But I'm still a Moab fan by far. I love BFE. Uh, you know, I, I was so intimidated by Upper Hell Dorado the first time I ran it. Uh, I mean, I just love it. Okay. How about you, Shane? Yeah, I, I'm going to, I'm going to still say Moab too. I thought Randy, he's been such a, a sand hollow kick lately. I thought he'd pick sand hollow, but, uh, I, I, I just love everything about uh, Moab. The trails aren't terribly difficult, but the scenery is so hard to beat. And I just, I, I like the, I like the shit show of, uh, of Easter Jeep Safari with everybody there and get to visit with everybody. <laughs> sure, yeah. and not, so. True. We didn't make it the last two years for Easter Jeep because of COVID, of course, because Easter Jeep was canceled and then they shut the town down basically. And then this year, you know, we were down in Port Aransas and we just decided, you know, things are going to be so different. There's going to be some of the rules and the, the parties and all that were going to be different. So we held off and stayed down on the water. And, uh, but did you guys make it out there this year? I did. And I, I felt it was pretty normal. Uh, really? you know, crowds looked, uh, maybe a little less than normal, but still pretty crowded. Uh, you know, lines at the restaurants and whatnot. Uh, they didn't have the trade show down at the arena, but they did it at Dixie four wheel and off road. I, that wasn't that crowded. Uh, but all in all, I'd say it was a pretty normal Easter Jeep Safari. Okay, good. Excellent. That's good to hear. So, and, and didn't run into any kind of backlash from, you know, the, the local community. They seemed to be happy that we were there. Uh, you know, service was good at the restaurants and, um, it, it was good. It was a good trip. Excellent. What is in the future? Any, uh, plans on expansion or infrastructure add-ons out at K2? I don't know if we've got any infrastructure uh, plans right now, uh, other than we've got to do some more uh, granite gravel through the, the campground area. Uh, and we're going to redo the the numbering of the RV slots uh, that the parking on that's apparently been a headache <laughs> uh, <laughs> through the year. Nobody seems to get in the right RV slot for some reason. So we'll redo some of that and get that straightened out. Uh we did, uh, Randy, you know, uh, took charge of getting us a little, uh, covered welding repair station area, uh, over there by the bathroom buildings. Uh, I, I don't know. And we opened up some, you know, not necessarily in the fence parking, but some trailer parking and, uh, kind of leave some of the bigger events, uh, you know, still have your rig, still have your camper and all that inside the campground, but. You know, if you show up with uh, 150 rigs, you got 150 trailers to deal with. So we opened up some parking outside the campground area where people go park the trailers and alleviate some of the crowding. But uh, right, no, that's. I thought that was nice. I thought that part was yeah. nice being up to have that open field out there. That was good. Yeah, and we continually. Finding new trails, you know, you think you wouldn't, but uh, continue to find new lines and new trails and new obstacles and 
just to keep challenging everybody. I don't, you know, we got some that are extreme and then some that are a little more than your average extreme. Uh, <laughs> yes, you do. The, uh, I, I really enjoy putting on the rock crawls out there. You know, we were able to use that, that one pocket area that, and I'm hoping that this winter that will be, I'll be down wintering in, in Port Aransas and Mason and hope to get out there and clear a little bit more of some of that deadfall that's like between the campground and that area and open up some more of some of that rock for the comp, mm-hmm. for the comp site side of it. So, um, there's a lot of, lot more potential out there. I know that. Yeah. You know, one thing we didn't uh, to touch on, Rich, is, uh, you know, a lot of people have problems with their name and wonder where our name comes from. And it, that's uh, something I guess we probably ought to address. Uh, the whole Katimsi Rocks uh, was based on a geological rock formation that was there at the old K1 location. But the Katimsi name is based on a Comanche chief Katimsi that used to uh, to winter in that area around Mason. So that's when people are always like, Cat, Misi, Rocks, whatever, and it's Katimsi. <laughs> right, Katimsi. <laughs> and, that's, and that's how it, it, the name came about. We were just trying to, to not only locate based on the rock formation, but also to kind of honor some of the, the historical history of the area with Chief Katimsi and his Comanches that, uh, you know, the, the story is that the only treaty that was not broken by the white man was the, the German immigrant uh, migration company treaty with the Comanches. Uh, and so that's uh, that was signed where present day Fredericksburg is. And that's uh, supposedly was never broken. So uh, oh, wow. just a little little nod to the history of the area. That That's cool. I know that the little town of Katempsey isn't really i mean it's just a few buildings anymore and i think an old church is that correct mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. yeah there was and so now uh i used to own that i actually own two towns in my life and actually own camp fair texas and Cadency, texas um recently i reached an agreement with some other local people that had a little money there and there is a historical marker at Katimsing, but it's kind of out in the middle of somebody's pasture and nobody knows where it is. So we took that little half an acre that I had there and they're going to move the historical marker over there. And it kind of explains a little bit about how it come by its name and, and what the meaning of Katimsing is. And hopefully, uh, you know, people understand a little better when they, you know, nobody knew the marker was there before. So, is it is it one of those that has a like you know marker historical marker 1922 or something like that where they're it's numbered and and registered somewhere oh yes okay the problem is is you know is you know with the historical marker sign that points out to it is you know on a dirt road that's down past the where the old Katinsky store said so nobody unless you had a reason to go down that dirt road to it was there right so hopefully we're I think by preliminary talks with the historical people, they have no problem with moving it up there, what used to be downtown Katimsi, and putting that marker there. Okay. And maybe even erect a little, you know, 
I'd put a septic system in there and drill the well. So, you know, they talk of, you know, putting in a little bathroom facility where people can have a picnic there and have a picnic table and have running water and a bathroom. And make it a little nicer where they'll hang around there a little bit and enjoy Katemsee, Texas. Well, that'd be nice. I, one of the things I'm going to ask you guys and see if you know what the, the, the whole reasoning behind this is. But all the highways that we travel across the United States, there's rest areas. And then there's parking areas. And then there's Texas areas that are like barbecue. They have like a, a, a covered area, a table, a barbecue, and it'd be right alongside the highway. But there's no toilets available at all it's like people don't barbecue at home they go to these these little rest areas or wayside stops what do you what what is that do you guys know that those were used years ago when people were just traveling uh, and we were in a little different world than we are now and so that was like a stop in a rest area and a lot of those places had little a-frame step this deal that allowed you to step up over the fence and onto the neighbor's property and to go, you know, use the restroom on their property. Oh, okay. Uh, and that's how those were set up, you know, and times have changed and people don't want anybody on their property. They've removed those little A-frame, uh, you know, steps to go. Oh, across. Yeah. And, and most of those parks, those little roadside stops like that are slowly disappearing. There used to be one right there at the, the Y intersection where you go to K2 and the other road that goes off towards Wolf Caves. There used to be one right there. Oh, was there? But they usually, they took that out because during hunting season, it got really bad with the hunters dropping all of their trash there. And it just became a trash, trash dump. I and see. so uh, the, the county and the state uh, agreed to the removal of that and removed that one there. Okay. That makes sense. I, I didn't know that there had been one there, those picnic areas. I One of the other things that, that has always intrigued me about Texas, especially when we first started going there, now it's just second nature. And I, everybody with a pickup truck, it seemed, and not so much anymore, but almost everybody at one time carried a barbecue with them <laughs> or a smoker. And some of you yeah. guys are serious enough to where you have like big trailer smokers and you'd see like uh, on a weekend, I'd see like seven or eight of them traveling, you know, down some back road or what I'd consider, a, you know, a, a county highway or whatever. And it's like everybody has got a smoker and a barbecue. It just uh, it absolutely amazed me. But it's, it's Texas. We like our barbecue. Yes, sure. we like our barbecue. Well, and then you, in Mason, I think you have one of the best. That's yeah. true. Yeah. Coopers. The original Coopers. That's right. Well, I'm sitting here in my office, and I got two first-place barbecue plaques I'm staring at on the wall. <laughs> you and know, you have I was one of those big, giant barbecue trailers. I do have. have. I actually two. got two of those. I have two. <laughs> yep. But when I was fresh out of college, a group of guys and I would get together and we prided ourselves on barbecues. Uh, you know, first thing, you know, myself, I'm a guitar player and another friend of mine, Joey Henderson, is a banjo player. And so, you know, we'd sit around and pick music and drink beer. And 
one of our guys, his dad was uh, on the funeral home, so always had a great big giant green tent. And uh, I mean, nearly every time we'd win the showmanship trophy, just because we drug more junk out there than anybody else. When, but, when you said he had a funeral home, and you were talking about barbecue, I was like, I didn't know where that was going to go. And then you said green where, tent. Thank where you. could this be going? I th- yeah. Thank you for the green tent comment. <laughs> yeah, because usually all the barbecues are in the summertime and it's so daggum hot and you're just out there most of the time in the blistering sun. So uh, we always had plenty of adult refreshment and uh, we always partied a little harder than everybody else. So we didn't make some good barbecue. We had a really good. They still do it. I don't do it anymore. I can't take it. <laughs> <laughs> but you have your trailer still. I still do. I used to cater. I mean, Mason, Texas is a small town. There's no industry, and it's hard for a young person to make it. And, you know, and so for probably 15, 20 years, I catered uh, up to 1,200 people. And uh, I did that pretty hard. But it barbecuing and catering is hard work. Whatever you pay somebody to cater, they earned it. I'm telling you. Right. Uh, but that's that's what I did make a little extra money as I catered, you know, and to uh, Wayne Hoffman, who uh, used to run the concession stand at A2 for the first five or six years, he and I were partners that, you know, and uh, we catered a lot of events together. And that's kind of how we, that's kind of how K1 kind of come about because Wayne Carl in turn catered all our events at K1. And so it's pretty lucrative. And he wanted to keep it going. He said, so you need to come out to, to grit and take a look at our rocks, you know. So, well, I'm glad that happened. Kind of, yep. Yeah. It was, you know, and I'd been, Wayne Carl and I were uh, good friends in high school, played side by side in football. We roomed together in college. And I'd been out to that property at grit a hundred times. And I never saw those rocks. Just basically because. They had no roads over there. So you didn't know how much they actually had until he invited me to go take a look. And it was just exactly what we wanted. I felt it was a step up in uh, terrain from K1. It was in our hometown. And so it was closer to Mason. We lost a lot of business for our local vendors at K1 because we were just as close to Brady as we were Mason. So it was in Mason, closer to Mason. We had a concession stand operator uh, and lots of good rock. So it was a perfect combination for us. Yeah, I I think that it is it is a great combination. Absolutely. Easy mm-hmm. access um, from all directions. The campground is level. Yep. We had uh, an issue one time. We had somebody come in in a big old Prevost motorhome and is trying to get to a parking spot, and his windshield popped out. Okay, what? <laughs> <laughs> at, at the old place. <laughs> so did he drive home with goggles on or something? <laughs> uh, well, those guys, it's kind of like the Hummer guys. And when they broke down on the rock, they called like AAA. They literally tried that. <laughs> Oh wow, that's uh, that doesn't surprise me. Did they bubble wrap their cars? You know, I don't remember what what they did, but they come like, "Hey man, windshield popped down." I said, "Man, I'm sorry about that." 
<laughs> what do you want me to do? I couldn't afford the windshield if I wanted to. <laughs> Here, here's a pair of goggles. Have fun driving home. Open yeah. the back windows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, let let me ask: Is there is there a place that you haven't wheeled that you want to wheel? How about you first, Shane? I mean, outside of our place. Uh, yeah. I, well, I'm on the. I still haven't done Sand Hollow. I want to do Sand Hollow, and I want to do the Rubicon Trail. Uh, And I know that's up in your neck of the woods, Rich, to do the Rubicon. And it's not supposedly going to be super hard, but it's just one of those on the bucket list of things I have to do. I agree that for anybody that that enjoys scenery and trail wheeling, you got to do the Rubicon. And knowing how you guys are, I would suggest – hooking up with Bob Sweeney and Jeepers Jamboree and going on the big trip. That would be cool. It is really worth it to, to have your meals taken care of for you when you drive in and on your way out, there's rock rollers and guides first time on the Rubicon. um, It's not hard. You're not going to get lost, but it's really nice to go out there with a bunch of like-minded individuals and not worry about other people that that would interfere with your weekend or your four or five days. So, yeah. good point. Yeah. yeah. How about how I about you, say, Randy? I'd say uh, I would like to go to Johnson Valley. There's a lot of good stuff that I haven't had the opportunity to go see. There's a lot of stuff in Arizona that I'd like to go try. And uh, even Colorado, there's some trails in Colorado around Montrose and stuff that I'd like to go hit. Uh, Rubicon would be on my list, uh, but not not as much, you know, it's not a rock climbing place. It's a place to go and enjoy. Right. Uh, you know, I wouldn't take my buggy to the Rubicon, I don't think. I think I would take LJ, you know, and pack some stuff in there and do some camping and enjoy it. I, I I would say I would sure like to do the Rubicon for sure. Yeah, it is. It's it's not not what I would call extreme. There are some little play areas right off the side of the trail that, you know, you can, that are buggy lines. But, you know, for the Mm -hmm. most part, it's it's very scenic. It's beautiful. The lakes and the rivers that you get to swim in and, you know, the people – Especially like on Jamboree, where you have such a such a good group of people that are just hanging out and having a good time. You know, they bring in entertainment and everything. But uh, it would be uh, it it I think it'd be worthwhile for that way for you guys to do it that way. Mm-hmm. I'd also like to do one of those Baja Adventure trips with uh, you know one of the you know race car drivers that you know. Uh, where you go down the peninsula there and you see all the little hot spots and whatnot. Cause all we do when, I, when I'm down there crewing or pitting is haul butt from one location to the next and then sit there for the rest of the race and, and wait for vehicles to come in through the course of the night. So I'd like to see some of that scenery and actually enjoy it a little bit. Yeah. There's actually a couple of really good groups to go tour with. Kurt LaDuke does one. Um, right. I knew he did one and, uh, Desert Assassins, don't yeah, they do one yep. also? Cameron Steele, yes. Yeah. Yeah, both good good people to be with and lots of storytelling. 
Kurt LeDuc has some great stories as well. <laughs> yeah, I would, I, I would like to do one of those. That's high on my list. Excellent. All right. Well, anything that we haven't, uh, that we haven't discussed that you guys want to talk about, about the park or anything? Well, I think, you know, we started all off and everybody was in some, you know, production vehicle, base vehicle, CJ, you know, two A's, Toyota mini trucks, Land Cruisers, that kind of stuff. Chevrolet Blazers were big when we started. Right. And, uh, you know, our tires got bigger and bigger. And we started, you know, the East Coast buggy started drifting into Texas. And uh, so then there was a big rush for everybody to get a buggy. Uh, but now, you know, I see a lot of people that want to go back to driving their vehicle from their home out to wheel, not trailer it. They want to come out and have a good time, bring their kids, uh, bring their you know, wife, girlfriend, that kind of stuff, camp out, build a fire, and do some moderate wheeling. Uh, I see a lot of those folks, and I think we, as park owners, need to spend a little time developing more trails for that person. You know, they're going to get hooked, and eventually they're going to put on bigger tires and bigger axles and all that, but we got to get them hooked first. I agree, and, and I think that Another avenue is the overlanding community mm-hmm. where they want that same kind of like a more of a scenic trail, but to where they can camp out, not in the campground with, with maybe all of their, with everybody else that's there that weekend, but like a remote campground, you know, and most of those people all have, you know, their own toilet facilities with them and every, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, they, They've got everything but the kitchen. Well, no, they do carry the kitchen sink. So, you know, you know that's something to think about too. On those for that along that trail is an, maybe an area for for overlanding where somebody can remote camp a little bit. And you know, along uh, while Randy's going further and further into the buggy world, uh, there's uh, there's also a certain sector of folks that I think that kind of miss the thirty three inch tire, thirty five inch tire. Hey, this is a tough day of wheeling kind of stuff. Uh, you know, I, I'm I would be kind of inclined to head that direction myself. I mean, I we had we did a lot of stuff that we thought we were kicking the world's ass back in those days, and you know, it's child's play now. But that was that was fun stuff. I agree. I think. Oh, oh yeah. I think there's a great market the- there. Well, you see all the flatties, you know, for example, showing back up and doing all their their uh, mm-hmm. flat fender runs. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's a little sign of that type of movement. Agreed. I'll, I'll never forget the first time that we we drove the waterfall trail at K1. And there's a little step off there about maybe a foot. <laughs> and then another step off of about six or eight inches and and I was—I thought I was going to die first time we did it. Honestly, <laughs> you know, you just knew you were going to turn over because they would get you off camber, and then you had a little bit more, and it was—it was pretty spooky. I'll never forget that. I mean, that was part of the thrill that got us really interested in that, in that rock climbing, you know. And at the end, in my old white TJ, the Tater, you know, you just stick it up from four wheel drive, and I'd run up and catch it and kind of stir it a little bit, but. 
there's no way I could, you know, you just let it go off. And I think it might turn over somebody. It never did. You know, just turning it loose and letting it go where it wanted to. <laughs> no, not a driver in it. It would make it off there, but it scared me for the first time I went off of it. Yep. I think we've all been in those kind of situations. Yeah. So, um, Fred Williams first started this and it was, uh, he asked, he goes, Hey, I'd like to ask you a question, Rich. So is there anything that, uh, that you guys have ever wondered about me or what we do or future wise, anything like that, that you'd want to ask me? How long are you going to Well, do? I know, yeah, I know you've been at it a little bit longer maybe than us, but you've been there 20 years. What do you see for the next 10 years for Rich and Shelly? Well, we see, uh, we see that we're going to continue doing this until we find somebody that will continue it, carry it on. I would like to find somebody that could can carry it on and partner with and tra- do a transition so that the next person that takes over, We Rock, um, will understand what We Rock really is, um, not just it's about rock crawling, but you know, the whole family idea behind it and the, you know, the, 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 the true nature of it. And, you know, maybe three or four years. And I started this, I was, I was 42, 21 years. Now I'm 63. You do the math. I'm not doing another 21 years. Just, <laughs> I physically yeah. can't do probably another 10 even. So, right. you know, we would like to trans, you know, transition in. We still have the magazine that we, uh, we'd really like to be able to spend more, some more time doing that. I'd like to do a little bit more into the, um, social side of wheeling, more of the trips, uh, maybe with the magazine or, you know, almost like what you're talking about, the Baja trips with uh, some of the Baja racers, you know, things like that, where it's more of a social event and not a competitive event. I think physically that would be easier for me to deal with than, uh, than lugging 30 pound bases all over the mount, all over the hillside. So, Mm -hmm. you know, that we, you know, we want to stay in the industry because we love the people and, uh, you know, we're looking at a way for us to continue that without, uh, without having to do so much physical work, I guess. So sure. that's the answer. I understand that. I mean, and, you know, like I said, I mean, these folks over the last 20 years, I mean, uh, we've had maybe a handful of problem people, but so very few. Never had anything stolen. Uh, you know, I think one somebody lost a gun that they had in their vehicle on the trail, you know, pistol that fell out a few years ago. So somebody turned around and handed it back into the office. You know, it's just a different kind of crowd than you run into in other places. So uh, it's just a uh, it's a good group of people. And, I, yeah, staying connected to them, I think, is an important thing to do. Exactly. Well, guys, and, and you know, oh, I want ahead. to say this about about the folks that came in. I mean, I know most people in Texas for sure heard about our tragedy with our courthouse here in Mason. Yes, and so Shane and I wanted to be at least one of, and we ended up being the first fundraiser for the courthouse. 
And, uh, I mean, we had a huge pouring out of love and, and concerns about Mason because most of those people for 20 years, you know, they pulled into town, parked across the street from your hotel and, and they enjoyed looking at the courthouse. And when we called and asked our folks to come help us, they showed up in a big crowd, raised $16,000 and then wow. came back again and raised $4,000 for about 20 grand worth of help for Mason. So we're proud of that. And you should we're be proud That's of our awesome. friends. Yes. Yeah, that was, you know, just to touch on that, that night that that it burned, we were staying in the balcony room, what we call the library room, and heard all the sirens go out of town, and then all of a sudden heard one siren come back in and stay, and we were like, what is going on? So Shelly looked and was like, oh my God, you know, you need to come look at this, the courthouse is on fire, and I was like, what? And then we sat and just... You know, for the next two and a half hours, we're just totally blown away watching that beautiful building just just melt from the, the inside out or from the top down. Um, luckily, they're going to save the building, the majority of the all the rock structure and everything, and they're mm-hmm. going to reinforce everything and then build it back in. So that's that's good to hear. Yeah, that was a horrible tragedy, and and you had some great video footage of that burning down, and uh, just such a horrendous deal. I mean, that was kind of the uh, the centerpiece of of the community there. Uh, I mean, I've they practiced law in that building for you know twenty years. Uh, it's just a heartbreaking thing to see that thing burn down. Right, and I'm sure Judge Bearden is not too pleased with all that happening. No, not at all. No. Anyway, guys, thank you so much um, for coming on and spending basically an hour and a half of of your life telling us about your life. I hope for all the continued success for either of you in business and in wheeling and with K2. I'm proud to say that you guys are friends of mine. Well, uh, thank you, Kelly, both. Yes. Yes. Well, we will see you guys. Uh, I'm going to be in town in Mason on the for the 4th or 3rd of July. So we'll see you guys okay. during that time. And uh, for sure, we'll see you next year with uh, with the Rock Crawls. Oh, we look forward to it. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, Thanks, guys. Rich. Thank you so Thanks, much. Thanks, Rich. All right. Talk to you mm-hmm. later. Bye-bye. Bye. If you enjoy these podcasts, please give us a rating. Share some feedback with us via Facebook or Instagram and share our link among your friends who might be like-minded. Well, that brings this episode to an end. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll catch you next week with Conversations with Big Rich. Thank you very much.